So I threw a sentence up here. I left a word out. So what would what word would complete that sentence? Praise. Praise. Pray. Yeah, family that prays together. Any other any other words? Serves. What else? Worship. Yep. Plays. Actually, plays was the original sentence. So it was this. That came from a 1954 issue of Parents Magazine. So a family that plays together stays together. So that's what culture put out. So this was after World War II as the baby boomers were coming and they were trying to get the families to come back together and stay together. So Parents Magazine put this out to say, hey, if you take the time to play with your family, your family will stay together. And as you guys put out a lot of different words, a lot of words have been been used, a family that eats together, a family that prays together, a family that laughs together, they, they, will, they, they will stay together. And they, our culture wants us to think that that's what it's, that's what it's going to take. I'm going to put forth a different word this morning, and that is a family that obeys together will stay together. Because God desires our, obedi- our, our obedience, and so as we are obedient to God, we can do all of those other things. We can pray, we can worship, we can serve together our Lord. And so as we obey together, that God will, will keep our family together. So as we're talking about obedience this morning, and about saying yes to God, we're going to share some of our story of how God had broke us, how God has kept us, and how God has led us to bring us to this point right here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So for some of my story, I started out, uh, I had a really great childhood growing up. I grew up in a Christian home. I came from a family of business owners. Uh, from clear back, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and myself, we've all owned our own business and we've run a business in, uh, all the way through. So I kind of, when people ask me, they're like, well, it's kind of almost a disease. Like that, it's like what, uh, when, when I was growing up, that's all I knew. I didn't really know any different. And so we enjoy having our own business and, and have in the past. And, but when I was in high school, I decided I wasn't going to get into the family business. I had a friend that was a machinist, and I thought, you know what, that looks like a really good life. I want to go do that. So I went to college to be a machinist, and when I finished, I had a great job. And so I took off and uh, went down to southern Iowa, and that's as, as I was doing that, and I had this, this great job, an apartment, I was moving all of my stuff, my, I had toys, I, I really like motorsports. And so, um, so I had snowmobiles and motorcycles, and so as I was cleaning out my shop, I realized you know, I've got all this stuff, but I don't have anybody to share my life with. And I was sad. So that night, I, I actually prayed. And I prayed that God would provide me a wife. It was the first time I'd ever done that. And so, Sarah, why don't you share? Yeah, yes. So a little bit about myself. I grew up in southern Iowa, um, a small town outside of, uh, it's southeast of Des Moines. I grew up on a farm with my parents and my three brothers. I was the second oldest, only girl. And um, my church, I mean, my family, we were church going. We did all the VBS. We did the youth group, you know, all the different activities that the church had. But my life did not revolve around God. I met God when I was in third grade, and I knew that I needed him, but I didn't know what it meant to give my life to him. So there was a big difference there. So I was still living my life for myself. And... um, so my life actually revolved around anything that involved competition. I loved sports. So I swam competitively from the age of five until I was 18 year-round. Swimming was big in my family. All my brothers did it too. I was a gymnast. 
I did volleyball, um, piano competitions. I mean, you might think, has anybody heard of piano competitions? Some people have. Yeah, so I took piano lessons, but there were piano competitions too. So of course, I had to compete in those as well. I have a little trophy at home from one of them, but... Um, anyways, that's a long story. But anyway, so um, all of this, my life revol- revolved around all of these things. And so that's actually what led me to pick the college that I did because I got a scholar, or I got recruited to do track and field there. So I was a sprinter and hurdler and a pole vaulter. And so, of course, to pay for college, I needed money. So during the summers, I would work at the Pella Window Factory making windows. And it was my second summer. It was orientation day. Um, and I was standing in the lunch line, waiting to get my food, and there happened to be this guy standing behind me, and I can tell you, though, I was not looking for a relationship when I was standing in line in front of him on that day. So, yeah, so we, so I was obviously looking for a relationship, but, uh, you know, so what is a relationship, Right. And so when you look at the, at the definition of a relationship, it says this, the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected or the state of being connected. Now, when I think about my relationship with Sarah now, my marriage, when I think about my relationship with my, my children or my friends, that sounds like a really sterile definition of what a relationship is, does it not? And so as, as humans, we, we're alive. We have feelings. We, we are connected by much more than just birth or by ancestry or even by contract. So what was a relationship actually designed to be? What were we, how were we created? So let's look at that. We were created by the Trinity, right? And so that first relationship was there when creation happened. So in Genesis 1.1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there we see God the Father is there present in creation. In Genesis 1-2, it says this, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit was there. In John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So there we see the word is referring to the Son. So we have all three parts of the Trinity in the beginning, in creation, working together. Now, that relationship, it has no conflict, right? It has peace, it has joy, it has love. There is mutual submission between all three parties of the Trinity. So that is the relationship that was happening. That was the idea that was in mind when God created relationship. So, in Genesis 1.27, it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Genesis 2 then expands on this, right? And it says that he created Adam first. And then he gave Adam a job, right? He says, here are all of the animals. Take the animals. I want you to name them and look for a suitable helper. And what happened? There was no suitable helper found. God says this isn't good. So he puts Adam to sleep, takes the rib out, creates woman, and there's now the first relationship. And the idea was he created them in his image, right? Not just a physical image, but in the, in the image that they are going to relate the same as the Trinity related. So here's, here's, what, here's what we were to be. Man was created by the Trinity, with the intent of man's relationships looking like the Trinity. Here's the problem. 
our relationship when we started didn't look anything like what it was intended to be at all. We met 22 years ago, May of 2000. Everything was going really good. We were having fun together. We were enjoying each other. After a year and a half, I asked Sarah to marry me. And you know what? She said yes. I was excited. That was a big deal. But here's the trouble. We were both in that relationship at that time for selfish reasons. Our own selfish desires was why we were in that relationship. And that's what had gotten us to that point. So, as we moved through that relationship and we were planning our our marriage, we got engaged in October. In March, she was supposed to go snowmobiling with me over spring break. She was in her senior year of college. And we were going to Cook City, Montana. The trip was all paid for for her. She had no responsibility that way. And she called me and she says, I don't want to go. What? You don't want to go? Like, how, how could you not want to go? to? And... So I didn't stay home. I still went with my friends. But when I got back, I called her and I said, what's going on? And she didn't really want to talk. I said, all right, well, I'm going to come down. So I went down to her place in southern Iowa. And it was obvious that we weren't going to communicate and it wasn't going well. And so I asked for the ring back and we broke off our engagement. When I got back, I went to work the next day, and I dropped the ring off at the jeweler, and I said, could you please take the diamonds out of this ring? And they said, why do you want to do that? I said, well, I'm never going to use the ring again. Maybe I'll use the diamonds for something else. They said, yeah, but if we do this, we're going to have to cut the ring apart to get the diamonds out the way it's constructed. I said, I don't care. Whatever you got to do. So I picked the ring back up, and they had it in a, in a little envelope. And when I got home that night, I took that envelope, And I dumped the ring out into my hand. And there were the diamonds and there was the ring in two pieces. And that ring that was supposed to symbolize the unity of our marriage now symbolized the brokenness of our relationship. I put that ring back into the envelope, put it back into, and put it into a safe and closed it all up. And that symbolized, that, that symbolization, it really resembled the brokenness of my life at that point. It was bad. But you know what? God used that brokenness in my life. And he taught me some things. The first was this. My idea of God was that he was just along for the ride. He was there when I needed him. I, I was just, he was just there. If I needed help, I'd call on him. But otherwise, I was going to do life on my own. I, my idea of God was a small God and a big me. God showed me that he was big. He also taught me that I needed to forgive. Even though Sarah hadn't asked for forgiveness or to, for repentance, sought, you know, repented of anything, but I couldn't let bitterness because there was probably no chance that we would ever speak again. So I couldn't let that bitterness continue to eat away at me and keep holding me back. So God was obviously doing a lot of things in Jesse's life at that time, and he started doing a lot of things in my life at that time. So I had graduated from college, and I got my first job in the Des Moines area, so I moved to an apartment there. I didn't know anybody in the area, but I, I got settled in, and I all of a sudden started having this, this prompting on my heart, and it was that I needed to go to church. 
Now, I went to church when I was home with my parents, but it was more out of obligation than anything because I was under their roof and I wanted to respect them. But it wasn't because I desired to. Maybe it was because I wanted to see my friends there. But I had this little prompting in my heart that started, and I should go to church again. And I talked to my coworkers about it, and they were not believers. And they're like, you want to go by yourself? You don't know anybody? And I was like, well, you know. But this little prompting wouldn't go away, so I decided, okay, I need to, I need to do this. So I went to a church that was down the road from my apartment, and it was such a huge blessing in my life. Um, God gave me the first Christian friends that I had ever had that l- truly lived for him. Um, I had friends that were Christians that they went to church on Sunday, but they did what they wanted during the week, right? And then they went back to church again. But these people, um, they loved Jesus, and they wanted to live their life for Jesus. And they had fun living their life for Jesus. I mean, it was amazing. I'd never witnessed this before. So they invited me to Bible studies, and they invited me to other church services that they went to throughout the week. And I started to get immersed in God's Word again. And there were some things that God started to show me through that. Um, that I had incorrect views of things. And one of them, obviously, was marriage. I had an incorrect view of what marriage should look like, biblical marriage should look like. And God started revealing these things to me little by little. And through this, he also showed me that I needed to seek repentance or seek forgiveness from Jesse. Um, And that was something I really did not want to do. Um, Obviously, I knew he was very mad at me and probably never wanted to speak to me again. And so I really kind of fought God on this for quite a while. But it finally came to the point where I knew that I needed to do it. Um, because the reason I didn't want to is because when during our engagement, the reason we got our engagement broke off was because I was emotionally unfaithful to him during that. And so I needed to seek his repentance or seek his forgiveness for that. And so I finally, one night I finally got the nerve and I finally called him. And of course he didn't answer. There was a reason for that. I was... I was snowmobiling, actually I was snowmobiling in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Yes, yeah, so, I, so I did leave a message, and of course, you know, you hung up, hang up the phone, and then all the emotions start coming, and was that the right choice? Should I have even have done that? But I, I did have a peace, because I knew even if he didn't call me back, I had been obedient to God in what he wanted me to do. I could only do what God asked me to do, and what... You know, for Jesse to give me forgiveness, that was on God's part and his part. So I was at least being obedient in what I needed to do. So he did end up calling me back, though. Yeah, it was. It took a little bit because when I got the, the message, when I got back to the cabin that night, I listened to it, I hung up the phone, and I tossed my phone across the room into my bag, and my friend says, what's that? And I said, that was Sarah. He says, oh. I said, yep, let's go have some supper. Um, I, I did not call until I was on my way home because I really didn't want to. And, but God wouldn't let it go. And so I finally submitted in obedience and I called her back on the way home, found out she was living in Des Moines now and, and I was going to be driving through there. So I said, let me drop my friends off and then I will stop by. It's not that far out of the way. And so we, I stopped, and we had a, a little face-to-face conversation. We did. So, of course, the first thing I did was ask him for forgiveness, and he graciously gave it to me. And then I started sharing. We had not talked for a year at this point. We had been apart for a year. And so I started sharing with him what God had been doing in my life. I was going to church and all the things that I was in, involved with and things I was learning. And then he started sharing what God was doing in his life and all the things that he was learning during that year. 
And it was really amazing to me because when we were together the first time, um, our lives did not revolve around God at all. Um, but now, God, in our brokenness, God had taken us both back to himself. And both of our lives individually were focused on him. And, you know, I had absolutely no expectations when Jesse came over. I figured I would ask for forgiveness, and we would be on our way, moving on. But God obviously had different plans for us. So He did have different plans. And so, so as we started talking and we learned about what God was doing in our lives, we decided that we were going to start... Uh, start our friendship again. And so we started slow. And, and then we started dating again. And it wasn't long, and I took the ring back to the jeweler. And, and thankfully, the jeweler was able to put it back together, and Sarah has now been wearing uh, the ring for 18 years. So, now that doesn't mean that we have a perfect relationship. We do still have disagreements. We have conflict. Like, so I wanted one kid. And I wanted two. And we have five. So look what happens when you don't agree on things, right? All joking aside, though. Yeah, but actually that was one area that we, um, we struggled in. Um, that was one thing that we didn't want to give control over to God. We wanted to control that part ourselves. And we had to realize that we needed to be obedient to God in that as well. And he had much greater plans than we could have ever imagined. So. Yes, he did. Thank you, Sarah. So as we, as we began our married life... Um, we knew that we needed to keep God at the center of that relationship. And so we started serving, and we started doing lots of different things in the church. We started a youth group at our church, which had never had a youth group before. And we later uh, started leading small groups for adults, and we started doing Sunday school, and, and Sarah was leading worship, and, and I was asked to come on to the church leadership. And when I was asked to come into church leadership, it, a mentor of mine said, you need to read Timothy. As a young man in the church, in leadership, you need to study Timothy. And I didn't get very far into Timothy, and I ran across this verse. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now that hit me hard, because when I was teaching, I didn't always teach with love. I presented truth, but I presented truth harshly. And so it wasn't, it, things weren't always going real well. So I was, even though I was trying to walk in obedience and I was trying to, to do everything and check all the boxes and do what I was supposed to do, I always kept coming up short. And the reason is, is because it wasn't the what that I was doing that was wrong, but it was how and the way in which I was doing it. And so later in Timothy, it says this in verse 18 and 19, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now, when you think of a ship going out, and, it has a, and, it, and there's a shipwreck, what happens to all the, everything that, it, that was in it? It's all lost, right? So if we, aren't, if we aren't walking correctly, if we are not waging the good warfare, if we have, if we have unrighted wrongs and we have, have unforgiveness and and we, we have pride in our life where we don't have a sincere faith, what happens? Everything that we're doing, all of the stuff that we're doing, we aren't going to be doing that out of love. We, we're doing it now, not out of a pure heart. And everything that we do becomes a shipwreck. God desires our obedience. So what is obedience? 
we define it like this, doing exactly what God says to do when he says to do it with the right heart attitude. So our kids this week are learning something similar to this, but it says this, to do what I'm told to do when I'm told to do it with the right heart attitude. Now, there's, there's a reason why that is, because Ephesians 6.1 says, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So my job when I look at this as a parent in teaching and training obedience is that I am going to train them to be obedient to me, to be prepared to say yes when they're asked to do something. Why is that? Because at some point, God is going to ask them to do something. They're going to grow up. They will no longer be under my roof. They will no longer be responsible to me, just as I don't have to be obedient to my parents anymore, but I am called to be obedient to God. And so I am training them in that, that obedience, and the reason why I teach that right now is to train them so that they will be obe- later be ready and prepared to say yes to God when God calls them to do something. So doing exactly what God says to do. What is that? That is simply reading, listening, knowing God's word. We, this is God's primary way to speak to us today. He will never ask us to do anything apart from his word. He will, in fact, anything that he asks us to do will only be supported by scripture. Three years ago, Sarah and I started having this feeling that we were being called back into missions. So we, when we, before we had children, we were married for a few years before we had kids, about five or six we were, we were very active in going out. And so we took youth groups on trips, and we took adults on trips. We went on some trips ourselves. And once we started having children, we decided, you know what? We're going to invest in them. We're going to stay home. And so this is on the tail end of 10 years of diapers coming to an end. Praise God for that. And so we started having this feel to, to, to go into missions and start going and doing something again. And I said, well, we need to pray about that. So we'd put the kids to bed, and we grabbed a bowl of ice cream, and we sat down to pray. Now, the bowl of ice cream is important, right, parents? It's the, the reward for surviving the day. And so we started praying together, and we prayed, and we prayed, and God never really opened any doors. Like, we couldn't figure out what God was leading us into and where we were going. And our church was going through a little trouble, and there was an interim pastor that had come in, and and we were out to supper with them one night, and we were sharing with them that we thought we had this call to go into mission work, but we didn't know what that was. And his wife immediately said, you should look at life action. I looked at Sarah, I'm like, I don't know what life action is. I had no idea. And, and the, uh, the pastor Tom says, oh, I don't know that they'd really be interested in that. So the conversation went on, and... and uh, we got done with supper that night and got out to the van and I said, Sarah, what was the name of that ministry that she said? And she's like, I'm already on it. She is looking it up on her phone. So she was telling me all about life action on her way home. And I'm like, you know, Pastor Tom might be right. I'm not really sure that's us because we had a business at that point. We, I'm an arborist, uh, so I work on trees for a living is what I was doing. So I had employees, I had customers, and this was, this was January of 2020, right? So six weeks later, what happens? The world shuts down. So when the rest of the world shut down, my world actually exploded because everybody stayed home and they all started looking at their trees going, hey, we ought to have something done with that. And so I got so busy 
we, we kind of backburnered this. We, quit. we didn't really pray about it because we were just trying to survive. And at the end of 2020, or well, I shouldn't say that, in August of 2020, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but there was a derecho that hit Iowa. And it wiped out like an 80-mile swath, 80-mile-wide swath, about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way across the state. Trees, houses, I mean, just really, really bad storm. And so I worked in that for about a week. It wasn't in my service area. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that was not in our, our area. But I came home from that, and I told Sarah, I said, I'm tired. We need to go on a vacation. I said, just push everything back. She did all of the scheduling. I said, just push everything back. She says, where are we going to go? They're like, it's COVID. Like, there's no... I said, I don't know. We'll find a place. Well, it turned out South Dakota was open, so we went to the Black Hills. We were there for 10 days. We came home. We popped over the hill and saw her acreage. And I went, oh, my goodness. And I looked over at Sarah, and she had this same look on her face. What I, what her, the look on her face is what I was feeling. I said, it's not home anymore, is it? She said, no, it's not. Ooh, well, maybe we better call life action and see. Because we had really just pushed this off. The busyness of life took over. And in fact, I was saying no because I didn't think that that was what God was really calling us to because we had this business. So out of obedience, we called life action. And, you know, God's word calls us into action at times. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So when God calls us in through his word, to go do something, it's time to go do it. So as we were looking at life action to see if it was right for us, Sarah and I went through four questions because we really had two good options in front of us. So which way does God want us to go? So as we were weighing that, these were the four questions that we went through. Number one, is it supported by Scripture? Because it's, it's God's primary means of communication, right? It's never what he asks us to do will never contradict contradicts scripture and it should always be supported by it the second thing we asked is does it cause hurt or strain in any of our current relationships this was a big one for me because i had customers that depended on me i had a backlog of about two to three months at this point of work i had employees that depended on us to provide them with work so that they could provide for their families So I didn't know how that was all going to work out. And part of it would be, you know, it'd be really easy to just cut and run and just say, best of luck to all of you. But I did not want my reputation to to be tainted from that. And so I wanted to make sure that all of those relationships and everything that I had promised was taken care of. The third was this, will this encourage others in their walk with Christ? Now, this this is Life Action's primary mission. We are, we are here to serve the church, to encourage the church to walk with Christ. So that was a pretty easy yes. The fourth one is this. Does my accountability partner see any area in this plan that does not align with Scripture? Now, this was really fun. So when I took this idea to the people who I, who I consider to be my accountability partners and say, hey, what do you think? I'm thinking about selling my business and going and living in an RV with my five kids and a dog nine months out of the year. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, you can laugh. It's fine. They laughed at me too. They're like, you're crazy. But then, you know, when they realized that I was actually serious, because I do like to joke around a little bit, they're like, you know what? Looking at the two of you, I, I think that that might actually be good. 
Like, I think God has a good plan for you in this. So we started pursuing that. So Winnie says to do it. So timing. Timing is hard. And it's really hard for me because I'm not a patient person. Being an owner of a business, when I thought it was time to do something, I went and did it. I made that decision. It's like, yes, I want this, or yes, we need to do this. So we make that decision and we move forward. Has anybody noticed God doesn't always work that way? His timing isn't like right when you want to do it? Yeah. So what does that take? It takes a lot of prayer. Talking with God about the things that we're working on together. So as we were looking at this transition and if we were going to move forward, there were lots of things that had to fall into place just right in order for this to work. One of the big areas that that I was struggling with was it wasn't financially probably the best timing for me to do this. One of the reasons is I had just bought a chipper and I'd also bought this piece of equipment, a crane. Now this was a great move for the business as I was growing my business. But a large equipment purchase, when you're looking at probably selling it off within about a year or so, probably not the wisest thing to do. So here's how it worked out. The productivity of that crane allowed me to catch up on my backlog. It produced enough extra that I paid off the note that I had on it. When I finished with it, I sold it without advertising it to another local tree company for a profit. Additionally, what I was concerned with, with all of the, with the relationships, my employees, God had jobs lined up for each one of them. It turned out I was unable to sell the business as a whole. But all of my employees were taken care of, and all of my customers, all of the backlog was taken care of when we shut the business down And so everybody was happy and encouraging us in what we were being called to do. It was amazing. God's timing in this, while it wasn't my timing, it was perfect. The next thing is, is the right heart attitude. Now this is, this is really easy to see in our kids, right? You ask them to go do dishes and they don't really want to do it. What happens, right? The dishes start banging around in the kitchen. You ask them to clean their room and you get the elephant feet, you know, they're stomping around, right? And so it's easy to see that in our kids. But what about me? Was I going to have a good heart attitude in this? Because, you know, as I was talking about with the crane, I was able to pay it off in less than a year because the productivity had, had almost doubled for my business because of that. Well, that really changes the bottom line. I didn't have to hire any more people. It was the equipment that actually made it that much more profitable. And it was kind of fun because I was doing more work and I wasn't even tired at the end of the day because our days were actually a little bit shorter. So the tree work was becoming really fun. So was I going to have the bright heart attitude to give up a business that was getting really successful? That was really hard. I got to tell you, there were times when I thought, you know what? Maybe this wouldn't be so bad. Because now I've got the extra money, I can go play, I can go do some of the things that I was, hadn't been able to do for some time. So there are lots of different ways that we can have wrong attitudes, right? So I'm going to ask you guys now, give me a little bit of feedback. What are some words that would describe a wrong heart attitude? 
pride, complaining, resistant, selfish, pouting, yeah, anger. Doubtful? Yes. Yeah, because we, we would doubt if God's good enough, right? Or the, the pride, we have a, a false sense of our own importance. Or we start comparing ourselves to others. Even legalism, right? If we don't do it, God won't love us. So as, as I was looking at this and as I was moving through, I had to really guard myself that I wouldn't become even resentful because of what I'd given up and what I'm, what I'm losing to go do what, what God has called me to. So over the course of this next week, what I hope to see happen for you is what happened for us when we said yes to God. I hope to see that in your lives and in your families, in your church, through your community. This is, this is what we're here for. We are here to inspire your next yes to God. God is going to call you to something in this week. So I'm asking you now to prepare your heart for that so that what God is going to call you to do, and it may not be easy, that you are ready, that you're ready to say yes to God. But you know what else? When you say yes to God, it also means that God might bring adventure to your life. I love adventure. And I had the wrong idea about obedience when I was younger. The fact that I thought that obedience, if I did that, that it was going to be dull that it was going to be boring. But you know what I've learned? As I have walked closer in obedience with God, it's not dull. There is nothing dull about living with seven people in a camper. Let me tell you, there is always something happening. But God will, God will fulfill our desires, won't he? He will give us the desires of our heart if we obediently walk with him. So when we close out, as we close out, we always have a life in action challenge and questions. So the two questions for today is this. The first is, is your family's lifestyle conducive to hearing and obeying God? Do you have enough margin in your life to hear God? When Sarah and I were, after we had heard about life action and our business got so busy, we didn't have any margin in our life to hear God. We were so busy. We were just trying to survive the day. We had quit praying together because we didn't have time. We hit the end of the day. We wanted to go to bed. It was it. We were done. So do you have enough margin built into your day that you would have time to hear God so you can be ready to obey him? Second question is this. Is there any area of your life where you are saying no to God? I have done that. I did that with life action. When I first heard about it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know that that's really for us. As it proved, I guess it is. So is there any area of your life where you're saying no? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, as, as you desire our obedience, Lord, you desire obedience. It's not just a, a, a checklist of things to do of rules to follow. But Lord, you desire our hearts. You desire a right heart attitude in how we serve you. 
Lord, because you are deserving of all of our time, of all of our money, of everything that, that you have provided to us. Lord, it is all yours, and we are to, to turn it back to you and serve you and follow you in obedience. Lord, I pray that, uh, that whatever is, is in our path that is keeping us from fully being obedient to you, Lord, I pray this week as we seek you, as we seek your face, Lord, that you would remove those barriers from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.